So our text that we're going to be studying for the purpose of learning Diktuk is Sefer HaDikduk of the Ramchal, my personal favorite, not to, uh, you know, not to put down any of the other wonderful works that there are on Diktuk, especially by Ibn Ezra, like I said, Sefer HaMuznaim is really great. The books of Diktuk by the, uh, by the Radak are also excellent, and uh, you should have them in your library, like uh, Sefer HaMechlon and Sefer HaShorashim really are important to have and you'll oftentimes see in the critical notes on Ibn Ezra references like in, if you use the Mosad of Kuk or the uh, you know what, what's it called Torah Chaim that has footnotes you'll see that they always reference you know the Radak and a lot of times in the Sefer HaShorashim which is a, an amazing book and also Sefer HaMichlul which, which is a great book so it's worth having those Sefarim but I find that this is a great introduction because the Ramachal is like a master at introducing subjects what I find to be the uh, quality of the Ramchal that, that I enjoy the most is that he knows how to present the basics of something and break it down into the simplest components that anyone can understand it. And uh, he, he wrote a number of books that are obviously Kabbalistic books and Musar book, Mesilat Sharim, very famous. But he wrote a lot of books that if you read them, you wouldn't even know he was a Mikubal. You wouldn't know anything about his philosophical views. Like he wrote a book called, he wrote books called Sefer Ahigayon, a book of logic. If you read the book, you'd have no idea that he's even a rabbi. You know, he wrote a book on Derch Tvunot, which is a book on Talmudic logic, where obviously you can tell that he's a rabbi, but they don't have anything to do with his philosophical works. It's just a pure you know, introduction to how to think logically. And here it's pure introduction to, to Dikduk. So let's take a look at what he says. And then we're going to use an example. I, I look for a random example from Sefer Shemot. I just picked up the Chumash of Shemot and I just started reading from Parashat Shemot and I found like a couple of examples that I thought would be good that we just recently uh, saw. So hopefully, and pretty much Ibn Ezra is like a, a, a gold mine of different Dikduk points, which is what makes it in one way very difficult and another way very rich, depending on your view. So in any case, let's take a look at what the Ramchal says as he introduces. So he says, uh, I'm just going to read it. He says, so he says, He doesn't give an introduction, like a grand introduction, like he does in most of his books, which is interesting. He just gets right into the material. And they even have the Kitaviyad. They have like a picture of the, of the manuscript, you know, on the side. So it's kind of cool. Um, and they have all kinds of, you know, introductory. The person who put the book together wrote an introduction explaining why it's so important to know Diktuk because... Um, because the first thing that, like, why would a yeshivish person write a book on Diktuk? It's a very non-yeshivish thing to do, so he has to write an explanation of, you know, why it's valuable and all of that. Um, so anyway, so Shar Aleph, the first gate, okay, like chapter one. Right, there, or Shnaim, actually. There are two components to Diktuk. What are they? Ha'echad binyana tevot. One is constructing words, Vasheni, Binyana Mamarim. The second one is building sentences. That sounds like the most obvious thing that you would ever think, but it's actually very important. Right? Dikduk is the science of putting together, is composition. What, you know, like, th- that's why, you know, you, the, the idea of composition, composing words, how do you construct words, and how do you construct sentences? That's what Dikduk is actually about, if you really think about it. That's all that there is to all of grammar. What is a correct, how is a word formed and how are sentences formed? That's very basic. He's giving it a So there's a little bit of holiness in there. He doesn't just, he, you know, he gives you, the, our holy language, okay, the components of the words are otiot and nikudot. Again, he's telling you things that you say, well, obviously, this, but he builds up, he builds us up from the most basic, basic thing. There are letters and there are vowels, Okay. So there are words and sentences, and we're going to focus on words. What are the components of words? Now, we have consonants and vowels in English. And in, in Hebrew, we have letters and nikudot. Now, he says, otiot. So what are the otiot? There are 27. There are different kinds of letters. Now, this is like you say, well, this sounds like I'm in the first grade. But if you don't have every component that he's constructing the edifice out of clear, then you will not understand the complete picture. You know, that's the beauty of it. He makes it that any person can open this up and they don't know anything and can gain a knowledge of diktuk from this. They didn't know anything before. They didn't know what are otiot. They didn't know what are uh, inikudot. Okay? And all of a sudden, otiot kavzain. There are 27 and there are two kinds. There's kfulot. What do you think kfulot means? There are doubled letters, meaning there are letters that have... Okay. A, not, he's not talking about that yet. That's too advanced. 
Okay? There are letters that have a tchilav version, a sofit version and a regular version. Right? They're called kfulot, mitzad tzuratan. Meaning they have, there are certain letters that appear in two forms. But, right? In one, tavona betevot bechol makom chutz me'asof. Look how precise his language is though. One form appears everywhere except the end. That's the definition of a regular letter. Right? It appears that way everywhere but the end. And then, The other one is only at the end. Right? And then, so he says, first of all, the letters are not all of the same type. There are letters that have two different forms, you know? And it, it's, it, in, if you look in Persian, you have that also. You have, well, you have sometimes three forms. You could have a, a beginning form, a middle form, an end form of a letter in Persian, you know? So in, in Hebrew, you can at best have two forms, which is the beginning or middle and the end. And many letters are always the same. Also in Persian, it's always the same sometimes. Okay, so There are four letters that are called Nachot. Now this is a language that you will see in Ibn Ezra all the time. You'll see the word Nachot. And that's why I'm saying when you learn the lexicon, you learn the like, when you learn the, uh, the jargon of Dikduk, you can understand the Ibn Ezra much more easily because he's using the same kind of jargon more or less. They actually differ on some points. They're actually Machlokot, just like they're Machlokot and Halakha. There are arguments and disagreements in Dikduk also about certain points. It's very interesting that some of the some of the you know the disagreements that they had, but in the general terminology they are the same. So what are nechot? Have you ever seen Ibn Ezra say there's something neelam? He'll say this is because of the neelam that is appearing here. What neelam? What do you mean the neelam? Sometimes they say there's a tegesh here because of the neelam. So he says there are some letters that sometimes are called nechot because they're not always pronounced. Sometimes they are. They're hidden, right? Because, and, uh, and he says, he's going to give an example of it. So uh, we turn to the next page. He says, so they're, they're hidden, nikudot. Okay, which I'm going to explain to you. So they are Yud, Hei, Vav, and Aleph. They sometimes are just pronounced as the Nikudot. mashal, Amor. What do you see there? En Vav Nirgeshet Bamilazo. You don't say the Vav. In Aleph, Mem, Vavresh, Amor, you don't say the Vav, you say, oh, just the vowel. Right? Ela ne'elemet b'nekudatamem. Okay? So meaning that the nekuda that really is the pronunciation of the Mem, because the O in Amor is really a vowel attached to the Mem, you don't hear the Vav in there at all. Now, sometimes we know, we do have a case where we pronounce the Vav many times. And sometimes the Vav does two things. Sometimes there's a dot on top of the Vav and the Vav is pronounced. It's very tricky. Especially in Tehillim, there's a lot of those. Edevotecha. You know, where it's weird things like that. So, huh? where it's only one Vav, but it's performing two roles. Or sometimes you'll have the dot on the Shin functioning as an O also. Or a dot on a Sin functioning as O. You know? So that will be, uh, that can be confusing. Yeah, he, well, he's giving example. Uh, sometimes it's written in the Torah with just, uh, without that. It's written chaser, but he's giving example. Oh, oh, yeah, so he's saying in that example, the vav is not pronounced. Right? So, so he says, two of the four that I mentioned, Aleph and Hey, and two others, Chet and Ayin, are called groniot. This is very important because, again, this is a word that you will find the Ibn Ezra say all the time. Oh, the reason why this has such and such nikodot is because of the groniot. What does that mean? It means certain letters that are pronounced from the throat. What is pronounced from the throat? That means that, now, the, one of the great things about diktu because it makes you actually more aware of how you say letters and words than you normally are. What does it mean? The ah comes from the throat. You don't use your teeth or your tongue. You could do ah without your teeth or tongue. In fact, that's what the dentist makes you do, ah, or the doctor. When you can't use your teeth or tongue, you say, ah, right? Cha, cha, chet, right? Ayin comes from the throat. Ah and ha, ha. What? Chaf is not what chet is. Chaf is more forward in the throat. They're, he's talking about things that are all the way back. 
but Chet, Ayin, and Aleph, and Hey are treated as groniot, as, which affects a lot of other things in the construction of words. If one of the letters at a certain part of the word is one of the groniot, then the, the nikudot that are around it, before it, after it, under it, will be different. Or for example, I'll give you the best example. Potecha et yedecha umasbi'a lechol what every kid in Hebrew school will read the first time that they read it, right? Right, everyone. Why is it not potecha et Because the groniot, in letters that are groniot, the rule is that whatever the nikudot are, whatever the, whatever the vowel is, is pronounced before the letter. It's actually a rule. You think, oh, it's not a rule. It's just that you have to know that chet, the ah, under the chet is before. You say ah, luach, not lucha. Right, poteach. But it's actually all of them. Bolea. The ayin is after the ay. You don't say bolea. You don't. It's always it's always like that. Masbiya. The a is at the after the after the vowel. Huh? Eloa. Right. Eloa is why because it's a hey. Right. Don't do the halil of Hawaii. Aloha. Right. That's what they do. They do it wrong. That's what they do. the Hawaiian. The Hawaiian one, right? Melifne Eloha Yaakov. Eloha Yaakov. No, it's Eloha. Well, yeah, if it's on the last letter of a word. It will always be, um, it will always be pronounced that the, that the ayin, the chet, the he, or the aleph, if there is a letter, if there is a, it, the aleph obviously doesn't have a sound, so it's not, so you can't tell the difference. Let's say the word pere, pere adam. I'm just thinking of a random word that has, you know, it, it wouldn't make a difference if the Aleph is pronounced before the E before it or after because it, uh, it's, there's no sound to the Aleph. You just pronounce the vowel anyway. Well, actually, that's, in that case, the Nikudah is not under the Aleph. But whenever you have a Nikudah under the Aleph, it doesn't make a difference because you don't pronounce the Aleph anyway. But where there is a uh, Nikudah under, the, under one of the Gonyot at the end of a word, always the Nikudah comes before the letter. There you say, uh, yeah. You mean like, like, uh, right? Instead of the, uh, instead of the, uh, because it's only with a patach. You say it's only with a patach. Yeah, it's only with a patach. He's gonna. We'll get to those details. We'll get to those details. But that, but he says that. So the groniot are the are these special letters. The aleph, the hey, the chet, and the ayin. They have these rules that the patach is pronounced before the. Uh, before the uh, letter and so on. He's going to tell us later. Fine. Nikudot. So we have two types. One are called Nikudot Havaran, one is called Nikudot Mivtah. What's the difference between those two things? They sound like the same thing. Havaran is pronouncing and Mivtah is pronouncing. So he says, Nikudot Havara give sound to letters that would otherwise, he says, the letters wouldn't have a sound without this, uh, without these uh, nikudot. There are three: rechavot, kitzarot, vechatufot. So we these, now he gets into the different kinds, the different categories of vowels. Okay, there's such a thing as a, what's called what we call tnuot gdolot, tnuot right, and the chatufot. So basically, he says here, they, uh, what are the tnuot gdolot? Kamat, tzerei, cholem, and chirik with the yud and yeah. What? So he's saying these are the he's gonna he's gonna give examples, but basically these are the le, these are sounds that um, without these nikudot the letter would not have any sound at all. Okay, sometimes a the function of the vowel is to give some sound to a letter that otherwise doesn't have any sound. We'll see what he we'll see what he means in a second. He's gonna give examples. Okay, but first he's divi- he's dividing up what are the different nikudot. There's what's called snuagdola. There's what's called the k'tzarot, the shorter ones that we call t'nuot k'tanot, such as patach, segol, kamatz, chatuf, chirik, beliyud, v'shalosh nikudot is the three dots at the bottom he's talking about. Right? The three dots that are on a diagonal, the u. Okay? Right, right. So they have different words for it. Yeah. Yeah, so it says kubut is one of the words they use for it. So the point is that you have two types of vowels so far. The long-sounding vowels, right? And you have the short-sounding vowels. Now, the long, we tend to, the, a lot of the Sfaradim, they don't tend to distinguish between the Kamats and the Patach 
in any way. So you can't really tell the difference. But if you listen to a Taimani or a Persian, they do. Okay? So, and, and, and it's, it, it, they give more of a long sound to the Kamats than they do to the, to the uh, Patach. And the, the Taimanim also do, if you listen to the Taimanim for sure. You know, so the, um, and then you have Chatufot. Chatufot are the, the vowels that they say, They are, there's a Pashut, and, a, and he says these are ones that are, that are said very quickly. They're blended. Okay, the Shva by itself. And a Shva that's attached to a Kamatz, a segol or a patach. Like sometimes you'll see a patach with two dots next to it. You see a kamatz with two dots next to it. You see a segol with two dots next to it. Which means to shorten the vowel even more. So you have vowels that are regularly considered long vowels. And one of the ways we express that it's a long vowel is what in dikduk? That the shva that follows it is always going to be a shvana. It moves the shva basically because it's a long vowel. So it moves it. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. I've, maybe next time. Okay, when you have a shvana, when you have a long vowel, it makes a shva, it makes a shvana because it's a long vowel, so it has more power. You could think of it that way. It's, it's a bigger deal. Nuaktana, the shorter vowels don't affect the shva afterward. They blend in. They blend in with the shva afterwards, so they don't make anything out of it. And uh, and you can take even that and make it shorter by putting the chataf patach, the chataf. So, which, to the point that there are some people that pronounce basically the chataf patach, chataf kamatz, just like a shva, right? Like there's a big machloket about more dechai. Did you ever see some of the, some of the, the books that have more dechai and more dechai? Because it's, some of them have it as a, as a kamatz with a shva, you know, a, a chatuf, kamatz chatuf, and some of them just have it as a shva. You know, so it's a, it's because it's, both of them would be very short. But the question is what the, you know, what the correct pronunciation of it is supposed to be. So he gives us these three different kinds of vowels. Now, those are the vowels that are to give sound to the word. In other words, they give sounds. Otherwise, it would just be, mm, mm. The mem would not do anything. There would be nothing with the mem. What, what, what is it? Mm. It would just sound like, a, uh, like an ape. You know, it doesn't have any, doesn't get, it, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Right? You need, you need the nikudot to bridge, to give sound to the letters. But then you have nikudot mivta, which he says, machzikim mivta haot Okay? So you sometimes have a dagesh he's talking about. A dot in the letter that gives it more koach, gives it more strength, as if it were doubled. Okay, now we call, we have two different kinds of dagesh. We have a dagesh that is a kal and a dagesh chazap, right? He doesn't talk about that really here yet, right? But what he says is, if you have a dagesh in a letter, generally a dagesh in a letter that doesn't belong there, meaning it's not a bet, it's not one of the letters that the sound changes, okay? I'm just making it simple. It's not always the case, right? But if you, but for sure, if you see a dagesh in a letter that is now one of the bet gimel dalid, the ones that have a dagesh as part of their identity, right? The bet and the vet, the kaf and the chaf, okay? Those have the dot to signify a different sound. We don't pronounce the difference between tav with a dot and without, but really it's tav and thav, right? Originally. We don't pronounce it anymore. That, what happened was that tha, tha, okay? Some people hear that as a sa, and some people hear that as a Ta. And so some communities took it as a sa, some communities took it as a ta, some communities took it as a tha, which is the, really the correct. You know, in, um, if you listen to, uh, uh, for example, in, uh, in Aramaic, how do you say three? Tlat, right? You would think so. But it's actually always written without a dot in the tav. It's really thalat. And how do you say three in Arabic? Thalatha. With a TH. There's no doubt it's the same word, for sure. Yeah, so the, the, they kept the TH. So a lot of, some of the communities, for example, the Iraqis, say tha. Yith gadal v'yith kadash. You can hear them, you know, they say the TH. So anyway, it changes the meaning of the letter. The point is it changes the sound. That is a dagesh kal. 
Usually, I'm not. I'm not saying absolutely. I'm saying as a general, a general principle. Meaning, it doesn't strengthen the letter; it identifies the letter, right? If it's a kaf or a chaf, it's if a bet or a vet. If it's pay or fay. But when it is in a letter that it doesn't identify it, for example, if it's in a mem, so that is called dagesh chazak. What it does is it makes the letter stronger. If you see a dot in a shin, okay, lasotet hashabbat. It's as if there were two shins. Okay? Okay? Hamotziatchem. Okay? A mem is not one of the letters that what they call the beged kafat letters that have the, that their, their identity changes based upon the dot in it or not a dot in it. Right? They don't change. Right? A mem is always a mem. But if it, so if a mem has a dot, you know that means it's supposed to be as if it were doubled. Right? Hamotzilechem. You know, people are not that careful when they say bachot to do every uh, point of dikduk. I'm just giving an example, you know. But uh, maybe they should be, you know. Ha'ele. Ve'hayu ha'devarim ha'ele. It's like there's two lamids in there. Instead of writing two. So that's a lot of times when words are constructed. One of the things Ibn Ezra will say is the reason why there's a dagesh in this letter is because really there should have been an extra letter here. And instead of that extra letter, there's a dagesh to show that it's missing. Right? So instead we make the letter that appears stronger as if to hint that there's a letter that's dropped. Because as we're going to learn as we go further, sometimes a letter is dropped from a shoresh, but as a sort of a hat tip to the missing letter, there'll be a dagesh or something else about the word that hints to us that it's missing. So we realize what the shoresh really is. Like he talks about mabul, what is the shoresh of mabul, things like that. Where the, why is there a, why is there a, why isn't it not mavul? Okay, so he says one reason possibly is because it really comes from the word balal, to mix up. So there's a missing lamid. So if there's a missing lamid to show that it's missing, balal is really the shorash, so it says mabul with a, with a, with a dagesh in the bed. Okay, instead of mavul, which it might normally be. So uh, it, it, that's just a random example off the top of my head. I, I might be wrong, but I think that's what he says. Now, so you have dagesh and then you have mapik. Nekuda, we know what, a, what that is, and that only happens in a hay, he says. That's called the mapik hay, we know that. Where a dot is added in the hay, where you pronounce the hay. Right? Like, what's the difference between the word isha and isha? It's a big difference. Maybe nowadays it's politically incorrect to say it. We have to say that it's the same thing, or we have to be, pretend we uh, plead ignorance. But there's a big difference between isha, which means woman. And Ishah, which means her husband. It's literally the opposite. Right? Now, I hope we agree with that. Right. Yeah, they don't like it anymore. They're trying to change it now. But, or they say, Batzug. Batzug Sheli. Oh, yeah. They, they don't like it because it sounds like ownership. Right, Ishi, because not my master. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hear that. Okay. She's the master. He's my master. Yeah, and, and, right, he's my master. Or, or or, but look at Sarai Minu. She called her husband Adoni. Adoni is like you really high level. Anyway, so um, she wasn't such a big feminist, I guess. Anyway, so now we have Here you see his logic. Now, by the way, you should realize that logic and dikduk are very, very related. And to really understand dikduk, understanding logic is, they, they go together. Um, it's arguable whether, which one you should learn first. But I mean, you can learn them either way. But really what is, really what dikduk is, is logic applied to language, logic applied to expression. Um, a lot of dikduk is that. So... He talks about, he uses a lot of concepts from logic. For example, etzem v'mikre. Etzem v'mikre means the essence of something versus what's called, perhaps unfortunately, but it's called in the technical jargon, an accident. Even though it doesn't mean an accident, it means something which is non-essential. But the, in logical terms, it's called accident. Mikre literally means something that happens, meaning it's something that could be different. For example, just as a, a give you a random example, if you have a jacket that is green, 
Okay, the greenness is not part of the essence of it being a jacket. It could be a red jacket, it could be a blue jacket, it could be exactly the same jacket. The color doesn't change the jacketness of the jacket. It's what they call an accident, a mikre. It is secondary to the essence, to the substance, okay? So this is a logical term of essence and accident or substance and accident you will see used in logical uh, works. And, the, and when they translated these logical works to Hebrew, they used the word mikre, which also means accident in Hebrew. You know, uh, in biblical Hebrew, right? Because it, you'll say it's uh, it's mikre. You know, they'll say mikre laila, right? The, 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 a person is, is has an, an, a nighttime accident, which means like a nocturnal emission, right? So anyway, so it says he gives a good example here he gives a great example actually because it's like an unassailable example there's no debate about it okay for example when all the letters there are absolutely essential to the meaning of the word so what does he give he says I, so he, and he defines things beautifully I know I'm skipping over a little but he says it's such a beautiful clear definition that the purpose of the letters is to construct the word to be what it is in the language. Meaning every letter is necessary to construct this word. It's essential to the word. For example, so that it will be understood. For example, the word zera, perfect example. Because the zayin, the resha, and the aleph, the ayin rather, they're all necessary to understand what the word zera, seed. Okay? If any of them were missing, it wouldn't be the same word. Right? So, Hine Gimel Otiot Ele Bonim Etzemateva. These three letters construct the essence of the word. Shebayuvan Inyan Meya Inyani, through which we can understand a concept. In other words, what is, what is the referent of the word? Every word refers to something, it's referring to a seed. Okay? Look at his beautiful language. He uses this biblical language, you know. If one of these letters were not said, it wouldn't be the word zera. It would be ra if it didn't have the zayin. It would be zar or zer. Maybe that's nicer. Zer prachim, you know. It's a bouquet of flowers. But uh, definitely not zera. Right? Velo yuvan you wouldn't get the meaning without those three letters. So there you see it's called the etz, it builds the word. Fine. But then you have the mikre, you have accidental letters. Again, he doesn't mean accidental, like by accident I put the letter in and I didn't mean to. What he means is it's not essential for the meaning of the word. It's somehow added, just like color is added to your coat. You could have the same coat in different colors. It's essentially the same coat, different colors. Essentially the same car, different colors. Okay? So that's called accident in logic. So he says, These letters are not necessary for constructing the word. What are they necessary for? It's not to teach you the essential thing. He's using the same word, Zera, but he added two letters. Kaf. What is the Kaf doing there? It's Kaf Adimyon, right? It's a comparison, like. The letter kaf is like. So in Hebrew, instead of it, not like in English where we say like as a separate word, okay? In Hebrew, you put it as a letter, you attach it to the word. Kizaro. Now you could do in Hebrew, sometimes some of these words you could make, some of these uh, prefixes you could make into a word, but not always. Oftentimes, like, there's no other way to really say ke without attaching it to the word in Hebrew. So kizaro means like. Zar'o, what is the Vav doing? It's possession, right? Possessive, his. So, hine'ot kafe'ot Vav she'b'mila zot e'nan me'etzem ha'mila ela ba'ot ba'b'mikre she'kvar etzem ha'inyan shu'a zera nirmaz b'shalosh ha'otiyot ha'atzmiyot zera. He says, really the main concept is the word zera, right? The, S, the substance here is seed. But the like, the like, the kaf, the word like, and the his, which are super added ideas, relationships, right? Relationships to other things, basically, right? It's like his seed. His, the his is what belongs to him. The like is comparing to something else. It's not of the essence of the seed itself, but it's in reference to some other thing. So there, he says, 
ואלה הבית אינם אלא מוסיפים בחינה בעניין נוספות על עצמותו. That you're bringing some new aspect that is in addition to the substance itself. והם הדמיון בכף, which is comparison with the כף, והקניין, what's קניין? Possession, possession, right? Possession with the vow. כמו שאכתוב לקמן, I'm going to explain more later on, okay? As you can see, the person who, did, who put this together liked to put a lot of footnotes, but um, we can read them, but we're, we're not going to go through that much, but some, sometimes they're helpful, actually. Sometimes they're good, but they're long. He, he brings a lot of sources. In any case, the point is that you could see that the super added letters, the bet, the kaf, the lamed, the shin, sometimes sheh, right? These are super added onto the thing itself. Okay, so if I say kiso, kise shelo, Right? Kisei is chair. Ha, ha, right? I mean, if you separate them, we'd say hakisei shalom, but whatever. Kisei is chair. Okay? And the vav is the possession. You can have the idea of chair without who it belongs to. The belonging to somebody is in addition to the chair. Just like if we go back to our jacket example, you know, the jacket is a jacket. Who it belongs to is another thing. That's not what it is. That's something addition, in addition to it being a jacket. That it belongs to somebody. Right? Now, um, so the grammarians refer to the letters that construct the word as the root letters. Like we know, everything is made of a shorosh. Very creative there. You know, the root letters and the not root letters. Very, they, they didn't give another name to the non-root letters. But you will see this language in the Ibn Ezra all the time. This lo- letter is shorashit. This is a root letter. This is not a root letter. It's very important for taking a word apart, for knowing what, what letters in a word that is in front of you are actually part of the Shorosh and what are added to the Shorosh. Because sometimes you have an argument among Mifrashim about whether a, what the Shorosh is, which letters in a word are actually part of the Shorosh and which ones are added. It makes a big difference. Especially imagine a word has a bet in it. Oh, is that a, is, or a Lamed in the beginning. So now you say, well, is that Lamed saying two this, or is that, is that part of the word? Is that the Shorash? Is that bet part of the Shorash? Or is it, or is it added? And so he says, <clears throat> so he says, There's also another two categories. What are the two categories? One kind of additional letter is called Shimushit. A useful letter, okay, such as things that add some element of relationship or function in the house. Not the house, but in the house. To the house, okay, or possession, or like the house, or whatever. Any kaf, lamed, shin, bet, okay, mem, also from something. It's a relationship. So all of these add an element to the, to the picture, You'll sometimes see him say, this letter is a tosefet. Betosefet aleph. It is not necessary. The Ibn Ezra says it all the time. He'll say, this tav is a tosefet. It doesn't have to be here for the, for the word, but it's added on. And he gives an example. Um, he says, I'll give you an example even from, the, uh, from last week's parasha. What do you need a nun at the end of the tinasun? What is a nun there for? It's tinasu. Right? Tirivun. What is tirivun? It's tirivu. Right? The nun at the end is extra. It's not necessary for the word. To, right? Because really it is tinasu. Lama tinasu et Hashem. What is the extra nun? It's extra. We'll say that's, a, that's a, an extra letter. That's called nosafot. He says there are two types of nosafot. Yeah. So sometimes he's going to say He gives example uh, Sometimes it's just there for poetic reasons It has no function except poetry Except the beauty of the, uh, of the, of the sound It makes it easier to say it It flows beautifully uh, But it doesn't actually have any uh, Any function At all except uh, Sort of a flowery Type of a, a language Yeah, maybe it's harder to say it sometimes. Maybe it's uh, maybe it sounds more beautiful and fancy sometimes. To have the extra letter depends on the example. 
But he says Migdal is an example of a mem that is not Shimushit. Migdal means a tower. Right? Now it obviously is connected there to the word Gadol, which means big, because the Migdal is Gadol. The tower is big, by definition. What does it mean for the Migdal? What, so what is the mem doing there? He says, he says an interesting thing. He says, even though the mem is really added, he says it's Nosefet the Tikkun Hashem, to fix it and make it into a noun, basically, to fix it into a noun, from a big thing, a migdal, okay? It's like you say, uh, uh, you have like a machshev is a computer, something that calculates, okay? So it's a, you, a mem in, or, you know, it's something that makes... Huh? Yeah, so that's what he says. Look, he says that. He says, In a certain way, these are like the necessary letters. Because, Even though they're not of the essence to the same level as the Shorash. Because the Shorash tells you, like, Gadol, it's a thing that is Gadol. So with the Shorash is really still more essential. But you wouldn't know that it's talking about a thing that is big without the Mem. The Mem is necessary. Okay? Or Mishnah. Sh- I'm just giving a random example that comes to my mind. Shana is to repeat something. Mishnah is something that you recite. Right? So, it's a thing that you recite. Now, it wouldn't mean anything that Mem alone, but the, fa- the Shana is still the essence because it, it's telling you that it's something recited and repeated, but to make it into a noun, you need that Mem to do that. So it says it's like of the essence a little bit more. He says, but we wouldn't really call them shimushiot. They're not like to or from or like. They refer to the thing itself. So in that way, they are more like root letters, but they aren't really part of the shorash. So he says they're kind of like in between. Yeah, they're like in between. Yeah, he says the, we can't really call them not necessary for the meaning of the word because without the mem, it would just be gadal. It wouldn't be migdal. On the other hand, it's not to or from. It's not a relationship to a gadal thing. It's actually a, a separate thing. So it's somewhere in the middle. It doesn't add anything. For example, ezroa, instead of zroa, it'll say ezroa. You know, or um, or like uh, sometimes you'll have a lot of times you'll have a yud at the end of a word that isn't necessary. Um, for example, uh, uh, what's a good example of that? Um, a lot of times in Tanakh you'll have a uh, you'll have a uh, you'll have a, uh, a a letter like a yud at the end, but I'm not none of them are coming to my mind right now. But you'll, and there'll be like just an extra yud that's there. Uh, for the beauty of the language, but it doesn't actually, it's not actually necessary, and they'll just, huh? Which one? No, because that's from the me part. That's saying for me. So you need that. But there are, there are examples where it'll just be like, um, uh, like uh, a tav or a yud, huh? No, you pronounce it, but it doesn't have any extra grammatical function. It's just there to make it sound beautiful. I'm trying to think of a good example. Right, that's, well, alaychi, because it should just be alaych. Right. Right, the extra, right. Um, the, the, the extra sound at the end is just there to, for emphasis. It doesn't have any, that's a good example. Yeah, that's a good example. There's a lot, though, especially in Tehillim, especially in the poetic places, you find it more. Yeah. Huh? Hallel, there's a bunch of them, yeah. They're just not coming to my mind right now, but... Um, yeah. What were the ones in the first paragraph Hallel, did he say? Um, he was saying, Gamal Alaychi is extra. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, some of the... It's, it's, a more, it's a longer version than it needs to be. There's a lot of examples of it. None are coming to my mind at the moment right off the top of my head, but there's plenty. And he says that you find that in language. So he says, So that makes sense. I mean, if a letter, if a word just has, like the word shamar, the only thing that you have is the shorash. There's no other letters. 
Right? Some, and anything that has extra things is called the compound word. So there's simple words, pshutot. They just have the letters of the shoresh. Shin memresh. That's it. Then other times you have something that is, uh, that is complicated, that is compound. that has a lamed in the beginning, a shin, a mem, a bet, or one of these extra letters added to the end, like the extra yud that you sometimes have, um, uh, or, the, uh, or, or extra tabs that you sometimes have, other letters that are, uh, or extra aleph in the beginning that isn't necessary. These are just for poetic uh, license and beauty of the, uh, of the word. And so that's, when it has any additional thing beyond the shorash, it's called murkavot. It says, So therefore you have three, letter, three kinds of letters. It should say, There are certain things that only come as a shorash. Some occasionally are for Shoresh and occasionally are for Shimush. Okay? So in other words, there are certain letters that you will only find them as part of a Shoresh. Only part of a root. Never have any other function. There are certain letters that sometimes are functional letters and sometimes are Shoresh letters. And there are, certain that could either, there are some that could either be functional letters, Shoresh letters, or... Even extra letters like the Aleph that I mentioned before, the Yud that I mentioned before. So now I was going to tell you, kolel Yud Aleph Otiot. Now there's a little bit of a typo here. The Kuf is written twice. It should just be Chok Sefer Geza Tzedek. Those are letters that are only found in a Shoresh. They're never added to a word. They're never extra in a word. They're never a Shimush. There's no, there's, they're not a prefix, a suffix, or any addition. Hasheni, what about the ones that can be uh, uh, for grammatical function? Shebechol. Okay, Shebechol. Shin, Bet, Kaf, Lamet. Right, he doesn't mention Mem as one of them. Right, which is interesting. Um, he doesn't mention that though. And then he says, Hashlishi. Oh, okay, oh, because it's in the other category, right? Because it can also be an extra letter. That's why. Right, so he says, the ones that could be either a Shoresh or a grammatical. Um, edition or a poetic edition, let's call it, right? Those are he'emantiv. The test is on this next week. You have to remember these, uh, these things. But he's telling you that what you see from here is how organized it is in his mind. Like he's present. here are all the letters that you will never find them anything but a shorash. Here are the ones that you will find a shorash or a, or a letter that has a grammatical function, but not a poetically additional letter, right? And then you will find certain letters that are um, all three categories occasionally, and that's he'emantiv. He could be the definite article, right? Ha lechem. He could be also a shoresh sometimes. He could be part of a shoresh, and he could be at, uh, an extra poetic letter that isn't necessary, an extra he at the end of a word um, that uh, isn't necessary for the meaning of the word, but is put in for poetic reasons that you find all the time. Aleph is the same. Anun, like I mentioned, tinasun, right? Tinasun. You don't need the nun. Right? It's not necessary. Um, vav, Yud. So those are, the, those are the letters. So this, the reason why this is so good is because I think, I find this very refreshing. Because, you know, we don't think about these basic building blocks of the different letters and how words are constructed. Now, if, you, if you'll give me five more minutes. Can I have five more minutes? I, it's, yeah, okay, because they already gave up on doing our video. Now, in this room. I wanted to just show you one example of Ibn Ezra. I, made a, I even made a photocopy. I, like I said, I didn't spend too much time preparing this, like thinking, choosing like the best example. I just literally opened the Chumash in Parashat Shemot because it was on my table from the Parashat Shavuah. And I started reading and I said, let me look for some examples where Ibn Ezra says something that might relate to the first chapter of the Ramchal's Dikduk, okay? Now, um, at the very top, he has an example where he talks about, I'm going to quickly do, but I want to look at the second example because after I, after I saw it, I said, oh, this is a good one. I copied and pasted it off of the internet. So it says, so first of all, this is a pasuk from the beginning of Shemot, we should recognize, he says to the, mid, to the midwives, when you help the Jewish women to give birth and you see them, Allah ovnaim. Okay? Allah ovnaim. So he says, if it's a boy, kill the baby. And if it's a girl, let her live, right? We recognize this. Familiar? Amar ben Karish. Ben Karish was a grammarian from the times of Sadia Gaon, one of the first grammarians that we know of. Um, I don't know how much we know about him, but um, 
He says, Ki alef ovnayim nosaf. Okay, we just learned what that is. Well, meaning that the aleph is not part of the shorash. Ve migizrat banim. It's really saying, the, it really comes from the word banim. Okay? Vehata'am mashber. The mashber is the place where somebody gives birth, but he's saying it's called ovnaim, not because, the, not because of even. Everyone assumes it means the stones. Saying, no, it comes from the word banim. It means the kid stool. Right? It's called the ovnaim. The aleph is nosaf. But you see how valuable it is to understand what it means nosaf? Right? Because that means that it's bani. An example like me'afsim. Me'afsim is talking about water that is very shallow, but it really comes from pasim, that it only goes up to the ankles of the feet. Okay? So the aleph is not really necessary there because it's really pasim. The aleph is extra. We just learned that one of the letters that could be an extra letter is he'emantiv. One of them is aleph. Okay? So he's quoting this guy, but then he says, but he's wrong. V'hanachon... He doesn't waste any time telling him why he's wrong. No, he's shehukimo ba'avanim, right? He says, no, it's from the word evan. It's double evan. Ve'alef shorish. Okay, I, I just thought it's a very simple, direct example of exactly what we're just talking about, right? Where, where in order to understand that, see, the alef is a shorish. That means that it's the word alef bet nun, it's evan. Okay, so like that's a beautiful example of exactly what we just talked about. Simple, straightforward. One grammarian says that the aleph is a nosaf, and it's really from the word ben, and the and the aleph is just an extra letter to make it sound nicer or flow better or make it in whatever. And the Ibn Ezra says no, it's really from the word evan. It's not nosaf. It's shorish. Beautiful example. Okay, now we get into another example here that I thought it's a little bit more involved, but I think it's really interesting. Uh, and uh, so it says, So you'd say, well, what could a person possibly say about that? The Ibn Ezra always finds something. He, do, he doesn't take anything for granted in the language. He wants to understand the reason of everything. Now remember, this is before the Ramchal. This is Ibn Ezra. This is, he lived in the 1100s. Okay? He lived in the 1600s, no? 1600s, no? 17th century, right? Yeah, so the, the, the Ibn Ezra was an old man when the Rambam was a young man. To put it into perspective. Yeah, he would have been... Old. There's some people say that the Rambam heard about the Ibn Ezra when he was older, but they, the Ibn Ezra wouldn't have known about the Rambam because it was, uh, he was an old man. Um, he lived at the same time as Rabbein Rutam, which is before the times of the Rambam. There's lots of stories about the Ibn Ezra meeting the Rabbein Rutam and all that and them having correspondence with each other. Um, and one time Rabbein Rutam wrote a poem and he sent it to the Ibn Ezra and he wasn't impressed. And so ended the poetic career of Rabbeinu Tam, <laughs> apparently. But he's actually mentioned in a Tosafot in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. There's a, there's a, I think I, I brought it in Shadow one time. He's mentioned where he, yeah, for this, the, he said, Chacham Avram Ibn Ezra asked about, uh, in, about, uh, about Mimachorat Shabbat. I think it was about. In any case, so Vidak uh, Yanun. Now, what he's, what's bothering the Ibn Ezra is something that you never would be thinking about which is the, the word for daughter in Hebrew is bat. But what's the word for more than one daughter? Who here has more than one daughter? Jordan does. Right, you have many more than one. Than one. What's the word for more than one girl? Banot. Where did that nun come from? That's weird. The word is bat. So how is it? What should be batot? What happened? Where, did, where, where did the nun come from? Did you ever think of that before? Never. I never thought of that in my life until I saw this. Okay? I never thought of it. So, you see that the nun is missing in the word bat. It's weird. He says, it's swallowed up. It's swallowed up in the dagesh, in the beginning of the word. So, the ba of the bat is actually a hard letter to, to signify that nun that's missing. It's really benat or something like that it would be. Right? Wait, when, he says, when he says mif'al, he means a word? He means the, the verb, the word. Yeah, the word. Are we going to learn all the different mif'al? Yeah, we're going to learn it. That's in, the future, that's in the future chapters. I just thought this was interesting because he talks about shorash here. But we'll, we're going to learn all these things too. This is the most basic. You're going gesh hal'ah and vayigash elav. What's missing in there? The nun, because nigash is actually the word. 
Nigash becomes Vayigash. What happened to the Nun? It went on vacation. Right? Geshala is, is really should be Nageshala or something like that. Because what happened to the Nun? It's part of the Shorosh. It drops. Right? Kegon Matat. What's Matat? Or Mitet. What, what is that? Is it Matat, I think, right? What? Yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah, it's gift. What happened to the Nun? Let me, I can look here with the, with, with, the, with the Nikudot so I don't mess up. But yeah, it's a... Um, it's a uh, it's missing a noon because it's really from the word latet, so it should have a noon. What happened to the noon in the uh, in the pasuk in the word? So he's showing all these examples of a noon dropping because he's saying that the word banot or bat is missing a noon, and so he says, "Where is it?" Oh. There's two versions of Ibn Ezra, by the way. You have to get the long version. The short version is not as interesting. Actually, sometimes it has things that are not in the long version, which is interesting too. So, yeah, so he says, for example, uh, Oh, this doesn't have that actually. It doesn't. it doesn't have that actually here. It's interesting. No, this isn't the short one. Yeah. It doesn't have. Anyway, he says that the word af is actually missing a nun. Right? It's a, because it's really anaf. Vayitanaf. Isn't that the word vayitanaf? He got angry. What happened to the nun in af? It disappeared. He's saying in the middle of a word, the nun can disappear. Interesting. That's why the pe is hard instead of afo. Apo, because actually it really should be a nun in there, because it's really lehitanet, Right, really anpo it should be. Al ken yashu bechapo, yashuv apecha, vechen minnatan bemilat titi. Right, that's that's lavan. Tov titi otalach. Right, mi titi otalishachet. What happened to natati? She kemo tinati. She should be given. What happened to the nun? Titi. What was the nun? Right, so it disappeared. Because the tav at the end is not the shorash. Right, it's my, it's my giving. Right, so the t at the end of the word is actually the my. Better that I give her. The t in tt is I. So it's just the letter tav is there. It's the only thing that from the word natan. He doesn't explain why, but it's just one of the things that happens. Right, gambasov tet pachtecha. Okay, tov titiotalach. Okay, that's another one. Right now, v'kacha b'shemot. So now he gets to words. So he says um, the uh, oh. So the first titi wasn't the lavan. He's saying that isn't titiotalach. What was that? Which one is the breshit kaftet? Oh, is it? Oh, okay. I didn't think there was another one. Okay. The kakha b'shemot. So with, with names, he means here nouns. Okay. That was verbs. So he's saying verbs, you see that the noon drops. But words also. Really, it should have been ben and bana. Right? Son and daughter. Why would it be a different word? Right? And im asher Right? But the th- problem is that it would be mixed up with the word livnot. Titarev. He's saying it'll be mixed up. Or he'll say bana. He thinks you're talking about somebody construction work. He's going to call Sean. Or he's going to call you. He's going to call Dan. Thinks he's coming to fix his house. Right? Bana. He's not going to realize it means daughter. So they didn't want that. So titarev. It'll get mixed up. Right? So therefore, v'nechlifu ahei bitav. So they put a tav in there. Kimo gvira gveret, atara ateret, tifara tiferet. Like it's often done in Hebrew that the hey becomes a tav. Meaning that whoever developed the language, I don't know. Meaning, you know. So the point is, pam samuch, pam ino samuch, kimo ateret, tiferet. So the, the first step he says is where did the tav come from? Because really it should just be ben and bana. But bana sounds like built. So they put a tav instead and made it, so really it should be banat. It should be banat. So where did the, what happened to the nun? Then the nun went on vacation. So there's a tav here, I'm just going on vacation. What happened to the nun? 
He says, ah, well, that makes it easier to say, but, umilat Rachel bito, right? Kemilat emet, chastov amito. He says that the word emet actually comes from the word amen is the shoresh. But they dropped the nun. Ve'atav siman l'shon nekeva, v'nei nun muvla'at. The tav at the end indicates that it's a feminine word. And the nun is swallowed up. Ve'lashon rabot emunot, v'lo amitot, v'lo amitim. Right? He says, it's, we, 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 when we say more than one truth, we call it emunot in the Tanakh. The nun comes back. And also, min bat banot. See that? Lo banim ve lo banot. So he says that that's what we... Uh, but is that here? No, it shouldn't say that. It's a mistake, actually. It's a typo. I didn't think it was. Right? Because really it should say, it's banot lo bitot ve lo bitim. It's a, not lo banim ve lo banot. That's a typo. I don't know why I just copied it off the internet without checking. But yeah, it's, yeah he means that it's not bitim or bitot, right? It becomes banot because the nun comes back when you do plural. Okay? Banot. Because it won't be confused anymore. And it's easy to say. It's not like bant. Okay? Which was what it should be if they just attached, if they just attached a ta to the end of bana to make bant. Right? That's actually in Arabic. Bent in Arabic is girl. Bent. Is bent. So, so that's actually a good proof for the Ibn Ezra, actually. It's a clear proof because we know that the languages are related to each other. So if bint, in, bint is uh, Arabic for daughter or girl, so obviously it's the same word. Obviously it's the same word. So they, they just, the Hebrew dropped the nun from the middle of the word and made it bat because it sounded easier to say and uh, you could see the evolution of it from that. So it's a good proof. It's interesting because a lot of times he'll quote the Arabic like correlates to Hebrew and here he doesn't. It's a very obvious proof to his point. He should have quoted it. I don't know why he doesn't. Because in many other places he'll say, well, this is like in the Arabic, it's this or it's that. So, so the, uh, uh, but, but the point is that it's a very interesting example where he talks about that really the, sh- the word should be banat, in order to, or a bana, really. It should just be a feminine version of ben. It evolved to banat, but that was too much, or bint in Arabic, but that was too cumbersome to say. So they dropped the nun, and the nun becomes muvla'at. It becomes swallowed up in the singular form, and it just becomes bat. But in the plural form, it becomes banot. Or just like em, emet becomes emunot. Okay, so it's a, it's very interesting. So he's t- he, he, he when the Ibn Ezra sees a word, he's not satisfied just to accept that word as as it is. Like he says, why is it constructed this way, and why in the different forms does it appear with a nun, without a nun? Did you ever think in your life? I'm I can tell you the honest to God truth. Before I read this Ibn Ezra, it was probably a few weeks ago that I was reading it, or maybe it was last year. I can't remember. But before I before I read this Ibn Ezra, I don't think I ever in my life. Questioned why it's called bat and why it's called banot. I never even noticed that the words don't really match at all, you know, until I until I read this. And then you read it, and you're like, yeah. Once he once he starts talking about, it, you're like, yeah. Why didn't I ever wonder this before, you know? But you see that the language is constructed in a very precise way. So the and what he means, the nun is ne, is either he could call it nelam, it's hidden, or he could say that it's muvlat, it's swallowed up in the word, but it appears later. It will appear. And he brought in the beginning examples of where a nun sometimes has this quality. Right? We say latet in Hebrew. To give. Latet. What happened to the nun? Ani eten lecha. In the future tense, it's completely lost. Yiten, eten, titen. What happened to the first nun? It's gone in the future tense. It only appears in the present and the past. The nun. The word nigash. Right? But lageshet. What happened to the nun? In the future, it doesn't appear. In the, in the infinitive, it doesn't appear of legation. So the nun has a propensity of dropping off. The end nun drops off, he showed, and the beginning nun drops off, and the middle nun drops off. So once he had that, once he showed you that you can have a word where the shorash has a nun, but it doesn't appear, and it totally disappears from tt. The only thing left of the shorash is one letter. <laughs> because the second tub is not part of the shorash. The first nun dropped and the last nun dropped. And all you have left is the top. And it's still referencing 
Latet, or it's still referring Natan. Okay, so he's showing you the noon can disappear. So once you know the noon can disappear, so now when you see the word bat, you say ah, it's because uh, it's because the um, uh, the noon disappeared, but it's actually there because sometimes it, it, it appears again in the, it, when you do uh, when you speak in the, the plural. Yeah, it's very very interesting. Yeah, and so you see that understanding this concept of the Shorashim and the different letters that can disappear, that can appear, and so on, is really helpful for understanding how the language is put together. The reason I liked giving this example, I mean, I, I just came across it when I was flipping through trying to think, look for a good example, but I thought it was a great example of how um, construction of words, because that's what the Ramchal is talking about, how words are constructed of different letters that could be extra or they could be hidden sometimes, but still play a part in the uh, structure of the word, so... So, that's, it's, so next week we'll continue on, hopefully give some more good examples, and we'll get more into the different, uh, more of the different jargon, but I, I like to bring, I'll try to bring an example that um, keys into whatever we're talking about in the chapter, so you can see how it would help you to understand those concepts when you read the Ibn Ezra. But you'll see, he was one of the pioneers, actually, of, of connecting, you know, of comparing the different Semitic languages. He'll do it all the time in his commentary. Uh, 